0: MHI Industry Leadership Podcast brings together the solutions, providers, and thought leaders of the materials handling industry to talk about trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices to move the industry forward. Christian Dow is the Executive Vice President of Membership and Industry Leadership at MHI. In each episode, Christian will be talking to the leaders and members of MHI's industry groups. Let's join him now.
1: On this podcast, I'm with two members of the Conveyor and Sortation Systems Industry Group. Today, we're going to discuss how to automate for those who haven't automated. What is the true goal of automation in intralogistics logistics or material handling? Automation appears to solve a number of problems or improve efficiency. However, it can be unclear where an organization should begin automating to receive the greatest return on its investments. Automation must be informed and driven by strategic objectives of the organization with respect to customer service, throughput, agility, efficiency, and visibility. Mm -hmm. Today joining me, I have Jake Heldenberg, Senior Manager of North American Warehouse Sales Consulting with Vondelande, and Craig Henry, Industry Manager for Interlogistics with Siemens Industry. Welcome, gentlemen.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Jake, would you like to give us a little more background on kind of what you're where you've come from and your your career? Sure.
2: Uh, So uh, I've been with Vondalanda since 2014. Uh, I did have a short stint uh, at another company. Uh, Same type of business, of course. Um, Been doing design work since uh, I can remember, basically since college. Uh, uh, Right after college, I worked for UPS Supply Chain. Uh, there I did a lot of design work, uh, did some, uh, everything from maintenance management to project management. I mean, uh, in the, in the three, almost three years I was there, pretty much did a little bit of everything, which was great, great experience. Um, and then, like I said, I came to Vanalanda. and I've been here ever since, uh, have had multiple roles within Von uh, like I said, I started out doing pricing, uh, and design, and then I focused on consulting, uh, and now I lead up the solutions group here in North America.
1: Excellent. Well, welcome. And, and I think your background is going to make it really fun for us to uh, dive into this topic. So, uh, Craig, tell us a little more about yourself and where you've kind of come and, and, you know, from in your career.
0: Okay, great. It's great to be here. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, I started as an engineer when I was about three, um, building Lego and um, my rector set and everything and breaking things and fixing things. And and so I've always been about uh, how things work. And I've been lucky enough to be in basically the manufacturing and operations sector my entire career and in uh, seeing so many different um, operations yeah. and how, how you make toothpaste, how warehouses work, et cetera, since since nineteen ninety three. Um, and I've been a motion control specialist, and I've worked at some of the manufacturers of automation components, and I've been with Siemens for seven years. Uh, supply chain is near and dear to my heart. It's actually what my father did uh, with uh, IBM, and uh, I'm in, in uh, the automated supply chain, essentially, and, uh, and I've been loving my role at Siemens in inter-logistics uh, for the U.S.,
1: Excellent. Well, again, welcome. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So why don't we dive right into the uh, kind of the topic. So starting off is what are some of the benefits of warehouse automation? And we'll start with you, Jay.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like where to start, right? There's so many benefits, <laughs> right? Um,
1: Pretty high level question. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. And And I think, you know, the biggest challenges to answering that is, you know, what what segment are you in as to what benefits will you see the most of? Um, So... Uh, I think we see in the market today, uh, you're seeing a kind of a hyper localization in the food segment of next day or same day delivery of food, for example. Um, and so those benefits you know vary uh, in that particular segment versus the benefits that you see in retail case pick uh, uh, with you know, fashion and, and general merchandise and so forth. But holistically, I mean you can look at benefits as, as something as, as high level as basically, Uh, you will lower your operating costs, for example, which is gonna give you a greater ROI. Um, You can have things like improved worker safety. Uh, That's a big thing that people don't often consider is that safety actually comes with automation, uh, not against automation, right? Um, And then most important is is creating certainty uh, through increased output as well. So uh, on the e-com side, we see a lot of things like we want later and later and later cutoff times. I want to go on to whatever website and buy whatever product at 9 p.m., but I want it at my doorstep 7 a.m. the next day because, I mean, that's the kind of customer I am, right? It's kind of been that trend on the e-com side as well is pushing those cutoff times. So with automation, you get a plethora of benefits. And and like I said, it's hard to just quantify and qualify every single one of them. And I mean, we have what, uh, 30 minutes, maybe a little bit more to talk about it today. And I I don't think we could cover even half of all the benefits. But at a high level, I think that most companies should look at it in that sense of um, automation generates very, very specific and significant benefits to their business. Um, And most important to most operations today is we talk about sustainability. That's a big impact. Uh, We talk about, obviously, anyone who's crunching the numbers, you want to have uh, a a better ROI, a better business case, uh, more profitability. Those are big benefits. And then ultimately, what we see in the labor market today is, uh, I think I, I read recently that 76 million uh, baby boomers, that generation is headed into retirement. And I think we saw the pandemic kind of accelerate that even. And we only have 46 million workers to replace them. So it, when we talk about labor scarcity, it's not getting better and it's only going to get worse. Uh, so one of your benefits, again, as I talked about a certainty that certainty is vital. Um, you know, when I can't replace uh, these people who are retiring, uh, people leaving the workforce with new employees and, and new labor, uh, how do I still create certainty? How do I still get my product out the door? And that's through automation.
1: Yeah, Craig, what do you what do you think? That was a lot. Wow, that hey. was a great start,
0: Craig. Incredible. Oh, yeah, I think you've hit um, all the key things that, that I, um, I know are true. I love that word certainty. You know, in, in supply chain, the one thing that's never certain is demand. Demand is uncertain by its nature. Markets change um, and consumer behaviors change. And that certainty of having uh, the ability to have your throughput, regardless of workforce, regardless of weather, regardless of whatever, is, is essential. I think there's a new term, too. You know, automations come along. From you know, even in my career, I've seen it go from islands of automation to now. What we have is is operations where it's end to end. It is one machine, and that has become possible because of networking. And that one machine uh, has the ability, if you do it right in your automation, to have the ability to change quickly. The agility is the term that we're using in the business world now. The ability to to move and change quickly with respect to um, you know product location and um, you know orientation of product and traceability of product and changing product mix uh, and changing demand and seasonality all those things you know we're not optimizing what we had before we're now making it so we have optionality so from optimization to optionality comes through automation because we can do that with software we don't have to retrain a sales force we don't have to hire a new sales force with different skills we can do it through automation
1: yeah, that's interesting. Talking about the the whole solution, or really the whole warehouse, as a single working machine, because everything is is now connected together. Versus in the past, where things were kind of discrete and separate, and absolutely. didn't do a great job of of communicating between between. Um. So, Craig, what are does the labor crisis demand automating warehouses and manufacturing facilities?
0: It absolutely does. It absolutely does um it's the labor gap as as jake mentioned we have baby boomers have have left the workforce due to covid it accentuated something that was happening already um i read a statistic that over 70 percent of companies before covid said that they had a labor problem we had a labor shortage issue and then covid hit and we had people you know not coming back to work because they're ready to retire with you know, Baby Boomer having an average of a million bucks in the bank somewhere, they're like, you know what, I was doing it for the fun. I was doing it for the, the camaraderie, something to do. I'm not doing that anymore. So that, I think with 19 million left from that um, yeah. just th- th- during COVID alone. And then we have a culture of people that just don't want to do this kind of work. It's not interesting work. Sometimes warehouse work is hot. So we have to automate. We absolutely have to automate. And I've seen horror stories of where very, very large retailers have not automated enough. And then the Christmas rush comes. And they don't have enough workers to do more than one shift. And so they weren't able to ship their stuff for Christmas, for example, during that, that period. Because they, automation could have done it. But uh, they were relying on people uh, too much. So we, we are not taking jobs from people who are waiting saying, hey, I want a job and that robot took my job. Not happening. Not happening. It's just there's a huge scarcity of, of, of workers for the jobs that are out there. And I don't I haven't calculated this. Someone probably has calculated what the deficit um, is uh, of workers in our industry, but it's, it's a big it's, it's large.
1: Right. Right. I think, uh, uh, Jason Schenker, uh, our economist for MHI put out there last year that, uh, if all jobs were filled, there would be still 7 million unfilled jobs, you know, with, hmm. with the, the current workforce available. Um, you know, if, if, if everybody went back to work, I guess I should say, then there'd be 7 million open jobs. So
0: well, interesting statistic along those lines is that um, we may look at this and say, well, this is a welfare problem. Interestingly enough, the same number of people who have for the first time gone for assistance, we're at the same point we were in 1967 with double the population. So the issue is not that people are going to welfare. It's just a lack of workers. That's yeah. what it's down to. We're not moving to, to social programs. That is not the problem. You know, there are people who've been on social programs ongoing. That has nothing to do with the event that we've just seen.
2: I, I think that's a really interesting uh, statistic. And it further, I'd say it, it corroborates with something else that uh, often gets lost in, in the automation topic is that automation is also generating jobs. Um, oh, it's yeah. a different type of job, right? Uh, we talk about automation because of labor scarcity, Uh, But what automation is also generating is now I have maintenance technicians who are actually paid more and and have a more sophisticated job. Uh, Then you also have people like all of us on this call who are working uh, within this industry and we're doing design work or we're talking to customers, we're consulting them, we're helping them figure out what kind of automation to do, et cetera. These jobs are created through automation. Um, And then, of course, we have the the plethora, you know, I look out here and we have uh, however many hundreds of engineers working on jobs right now. Uh, that are all automation jobs, right? So uh, these jobs are all, all still created through through automation. And so what we've done is we've replaced really low-skilled labor, uh, which is a high quantity of low-skilled labor, with a lower quantity of high-skilled labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't think that's talked about enough when we talk about automation. And, and uh, you hit it very succinctly, I'd say, Craig, with the, the labor scarcity issue. I can give you plenty of examples of how many of our customers I've talked to where Uh, Christmas peak hits, as you mentioned, uh, or Black Friday hits. And we go, they go from having to hire, let's say they have a standard workforce of uh, four or 500 people, and have to multiply that by five or six people just to try and get all the product out the door. And you can imagine what kind of a nightmare that is uh, for an entire month of hiring that many people to try and get product out the door. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way back to the benefits to the very first question of, you know, you don't run into those issues anymore. Um, But again, it's all about we talk about labor scarcity, we talk about uh, this whole, you know, this robot took my job, but that's not what's happening, right? We're just, we're creating a different subset of jobs for a lower amount of people that are working. That's what we're doing.
1: That's it. So how do you think that automation will affect the supply of labor? So we talked about how it will, how automation will solve, um, you know, some of the challenges around, uh, you know, around the, the lack of labor, but how will it affect the, the, the supply of labor to, to these jobs once automation is implemented?
2: It, it's gonna be a positive effect. I mean, it's, it's the problem that we keep discussing, right? As we talk about labor scarcity, uh, the positive effect is that uh, all of a sudden, uh, instead of not getting our product out the door because we can't hire people, we, we actually now have automation in place where I can actually hire the right people. Um, One of the other benefits for the supply of labor is um, we talk about warehouse work and if it's all manual, that's a very demanding task. Uh, And one of the things that automation allows us to do is where areas, something as simple as, uh, call it depalletizing, right? And if you go into a a warehouse and you have to depal uh, a a pallet, if you have a nicely designed workstation with a lift that automatically brings the pallet to the correct height for your working height, um, you can slide the cases off of that pallet Uh, onto a work table and onto a conveyor or what have you. Uh, So you're reducing the impact on labor itself as well. So your operator who is there in the warehouse, who maybe uh, as we talk about who baby boomers who are looking to retire, maybe choose not to retire early because uh, that job, which was incredibly demanding, has reduced demands on their body. And so they can continue to do that job. So everything that I've seen and talking with customers and looking at, you know, how we continuously improve our own automation uh, is having a positive in- impact on labor, both for the companies and the certainty of delivery, but also for the labor itself. So the people who are still inside the warehouse, still working, they now have a much more ergonomic workstations that they're working within. And they have much more, I'll, I'll say, uh, they have better productivity
0: with less strain. That's the best way to describe it.
1: Yeah, Craig, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I think that you know, Jake works for um, uh, an OEM. That's what we we term, you know, his group. He's he's building equipment uh, and manufactures it. And and I think the MHI.org uh, report every year for the last, I don't know three years has indicated that everyone in his marketplace, all of him and his competitors are seeing double-digit growth in their companies. So, how many thousands, how many thousands and thousands of people? are are in even that little segment of the marketplace where they're hiring more people for everything, for everything, IT people and and engineers and um, administration and accounting and everything as these markets grow. So yes, we're seeing great growth. I know that we're seeing record growth at uh, Siemens and, you know, we're we're a global company and we're seeing all over the world that there's, there's a demand that's increasing for, you know, the automated handling of, of product. So you know, the doom and gloom, it really doesn't exist. I don't see it. I don't see it. There may be other industries, you know, that, that are having a lot of trouble, but it's not this one. And, and overall, there's plenty of opportunity here.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that, that along with some of the things that, that Jake and and both you and uh, Craig and Jake talk about, um, you know, one of the the jobs that become available around automation become one more interesting, two higher paying, and three higher skilled. And so, um, the the challenge is is finding or upskilling your current workforce to be able to do those jobs. Mm-hmm. But those jobs that are created um, are better for you know for the people that are able to to step in and take those roles, right?
2: Yeah. It- Craig hit that one one piece, and you know, I failed to mention it again, but um, what you have too is a labor market that doesn't want to work in the warehouse. I mean, frankly, that's just what we see. The, the, the next generation of labor uh, does not want to work in a warehouse. I mean, it, it, I think I can even think back. I, I feel like, you know, I'm young enough to say this, but my parents were telling me, uh, you know, my dad owned a, a repair shop and a performance shop and everything, and I used to help him work on cars and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. He said, go to college get an education don't do this this is not what you want for a career and and you know you think the younger generation is still getting that same message you know go to college get an education you don't want to work in a warehouse you don't want this to be your life for for 20 30 years because you know as a parent myself now i understand you know why my parents said that to me you, you want the best for your kids and, and if you realize that this kind of labor is taking a toll on your body then your thought is, I I don't want this to be, you know, my kid's future either. So to your point, Craig, it is the generation doesn't want to work in a warehouse. And now you can come in, you can go get an education, you can become an engineer, you can become, you know, whatever you want, and then come here and actually work and and, and create, you know, really interesting and fantastic and innovative solutions.
0: Yeah, there are some incredible people out there. And by the way, we say go to college, a, a technical degree, you know, there are technical colleges out there, I went to a university. I didn't touch a PLC. I did not touch a variable frequency drive. I didn't know what they were when I got out of college. But these uh, technicals and trade schools, um, a lot of guys that went to engineering school, by the way, are gearheads like me and you. But uh, so they understood how to get things done and how to make it work. And oh, it's a fun role to get in. And even with an associate's degree. You can come out with even more capability for our industry than even a yeah. college degree. And you hit the ground running and you could do great. And who knows? You could be engineering manager at, uh, at yeah. places in a little while. Just get going because what our industry is so specific, automation, particularly, is so specific that you know you learn when someone's standing over you saying, make it work. And you're going, Oh, yes, sir. You have 30 minutes, get it done. That's that's the kind of where you figure out PNP yep. inputs and NPN inputs pretty quick and stuff like that. I think that's spot on. I,
2: I can give you two examples of people that, you know, work in this industry that were formerly teachers, you know, they don't have a degree in engineering, but we we get so desperate, you know, you go, if you're smart enough and motivated enough, I think that
0: you can work here. Um, and and, it, and well, it Teachers just, can do anything, by the way. I'd rather do the moonshot than to have fourth <laughs> graders to have to, you know. That's also true.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I and, and I agree with you, Craig. It's it, in being in a in a role where I hired engineers previously. It was hard to find engineers with university degrees that knew how to apply motors, drives, sensors. You know. Uh, actuators you know the the things the automation components that that go into systems and things but then you go and talk to a somebody has a two-year technical degree and that's all they've been doing for the last two years is touching that stuff and programming things and stuff and you're like you you just kind of scratch your head and go, why aren't the universities, you know, the universities weren't there back then. Now we're starting to see more mechatronics degree programs and more automation programs that are specific that are actually starting to do a lot more real application. But, uh, you know, but that's just starting to change over the last few years. It doesn't seem like that was something that um, prior to maybe five years ago, it just wouldn't have been heard of in a, in a four-year university. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the link between customer service and automation, Craig?
0: Well, again, with um, visibility and tracking comes through having, you know, the Internet of Things, the industrial Internet of Things. You can look that up online if you don't know what that is, IoT or Industry 4.0 is uh, automation gives you data or it should give you data if you do it right. So as as we look at customer service, customer service is a mathematical formula which is to say, uh, and most people get it wrong. One of my mentors is a a Deloitte guy, and he said that most of his his customers always got this wrong. It's simply what percentage of our orders do we ship at the time we agreed to when we made the order with the customer? And thats that 96? Is that 86? Is that 46? And to be able to do that, we have to be able to handle all the, you know, the, the changes in demand, et cetera. So um, there's some mathematics that come behind that, that, that automation won't fix. You have to have a certain amount of safety stock based on you know, the, the availability of product, et cetera. So there's some mathematics there that aren't really that complicated, but you have to have the ability to keep your customers happy by, from an automation point of view, bringing the right product at the right place, the right time. And that is to me done in, in its best way automatically. It's an automation process to make that happen. And, uh, and if you have uh, done your math right, uh, you're not going to get 100%, by the way. You have to have unlimited money if you do the math uh, to do 100% customer service. But um, to get in the 90s, automation is going to be your friend and uh, traceability is, is everything. So I think that's the connection and um, putting data from every piece of your operation up through the enterprise so that we know a problem early and we also can track and trace and make changes along the way to keep um keep the customers receiving what they need
1: yeah jake what would you like to add to that yeah
2: i'll give you an example of where automation can really help uh so uh, craig hit a point that i think is is um is spot on. And, and this particular example, do you all remember it was three, four, maybe five years ago, this pie face game that came out and it was very popular. So it was just this thing where basically like I don't know how it worked, but basically you had to fill this thing with whipped cream. And if you missed the answer or something to hit you with a pie in the face, it was it was crazy. Right. Um, and so yeah. I remember cause we bought it for my, my toddler. He was a toddler at the time and and he was afraid of it, <laughs> but apparently like, yeah, you could see that, I guess, but um, it was super popular. And, and I was touring this uh, warehouse with a, a, a customer um, and I noticed they had pie face everywhere and it was a, Fairly manual warehouse at this time. And I asked, I said, so you have a lot of pipe. Why, why so much pipe Why so much of this this game or whatever? Uh, uh, yeah, our buyers bought so much of it because it was so popular. And now we have like what what used to be two weeks of supply. We now have six months of supply and we can't get rid of it, right? Uh, so it... it that's that's where automation can help you because then all of a sudden you you're tracking that inventory you have much better visibility into it your buyers have much better visibility into uh when let's say when the market is starting to trend down for that particular product or those types of goods that you start procuring less and less of that product or you can also start purging your system. Uh, to try and purge You know, manual racking everywhere is much more challenging and time-consuming when you're also trying to pick at the same time to get other orders out of the building. But if you have automation, you can do them simultaneously together and you reduce the amount of labor required, of course, to try and purge that system uh, while you're picking from that system uh, all at the same time. So full agreement with everything that Craig has said. I just wanted I felt like giving the example of the pie face was a good example to share where it becomes problematic because you have these fads and these trends that happen and your buyers jump on it. You know, you got it. You can't not have the supply. But then what happens when that fad fades and now you have six months of supply, which was originally only two weeks of supply, maybe three months prior. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about the other side of, of the, uh, the coin as well of, you know, the consumer's expectations have changed, right? And I, I got, uh, I ordered a, a new boat cover a couple of weeks ago. And I, you know, you, you have Amazon and everything now and you and you get this kind of online, you get communication anytime you want, you can find out where your order is and when it's going to be there and things like that. And even if the order date is moving, you know, to, to kind of go back to Craig's point of it's not going to be here this day. It's going to be here this day. You through the bigger retailers they'll let you know when things are slipping or when it's going to be and 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 give you that update which is fine because it's managing my expectations all the way through Mm -hmm. but when you go into and you place an order that goes into a black hole and then it doesn't arrive on the day that it was supposed to to arrive and then you're like well what happened and you have no tracking no nothing in between that that becomes unacceptable and almost infuriating because my expectations have completely changed over over the the last 10 years or or whatever since we've been in this in this ride since uh you know with with e-commerce picking up but you know where does automation you know fit in in that part of the customer service and and uh, in kind of meeting the expectations and the evolving expectations. We'll start with you, Craig.
0: <laughs> well, I think that, you know, I, I heard this this um, a while back. Amazon has published what their goal is and that is for two hour delivery, two hours. <sighs> so that takes an automation to a level that I'm still trying to get my brain around, but it includes things such as Uh, Christian, you're there at your at your house and you're scrolling through on Amazon and you put something in your cart and you don't even buy it. That affects the distribution of where they're going to keep that that item with respect Mm -hmm. to you and the 10 other people that did that or touched on it or searched on it. So it gets down to that level. Um, It's not just automation that's going to get this done. It's a whole philosophy around how you make your your organization fit what your customer is buying. Um, And consumers packaged goods or or discount stores, which is really what what we're talking about with Amazon. Amazon is a a millions and millions of SKUs um, department store of sorts or discount store of sorts. And, um, yeah, their task is to reduce the friction of the entire process from order, from vendor relationship, um, distribution. They have their own fleet of planes and trucks now. Um, and, And they're one example um, of how they use all the tools of technology, these little, um, the, the little carts that go into neighborhoods and then go deliver door to door is a reality now. Uh, drone delivery, I'm still you know, wondering how much that's going to you know, get into the mainstream, but using every piece of technology that they can so that they can, they can be better. Uh, I think mean, that's happening all over the place and the ones who embrace it and do it well are going to be the leaders and others will be left behind. And from an automation point of view, that's a very general term, but I think automation from IT processes, um, warehouse processes, the uh, loading and unloading of trucks, the sortation, every piece of that has to be uh, streamlined, but also visible with data. Yeah, I'll 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 add it goes back
2: to uh, even something we mentioned at the beginning about uh, like the hyperlocalization of grocery Mm -hmm. fulfillment. Um, And you're seeing retailers, you know, you look at uh, uh, Target and Walmarts are obviously, you know, their biggest uh, advantage to a dedicated e-com retailer like an Amazon is their footprint. Uh, is actually that they, if you think about it, they have every one of their stores is a mini warehouse, right? In the States, we have a lot of land and we, we use it really well for retail, of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, relative to, to Europe, for example, where they have smaller, much smaller stores. So when you look at it over here in the US, um, a lot of the investigation is centered on how can we fulfill those e-com orders um, from our stores, our, our existing footprint? We have all this product on the shelves. Um, how can we expand that? Uh, that product, uh, that inventory to online users as well. Uh, and so you're seeing automation, different types of automation get tested and piloted inside of these stores. And you know it's only a matter of time before we find out which one is the best approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you think about it, there's all kinds of different opportunities for automation within the store. And because there are many warehouses, you still, you walk into a Walmart today and you look up and you've got a lot of uh, airspace above you. And, you know, that's something to think about. You know, maybe you put something up there um, or, or shrink the store footprint a bit because you have reduced foot traffic um, and then put some, maybe like a shuttle system uh, or a more automated system uh, inside of the store in a dedicated area. Uh, that's already being tested in a lot of different places. Uh, so we're seeing this automation get closer and closer to, to your point, Craig, to the consumer. And I think that's, that's where you're going to see a, a huge shift over the next five and 10 years, you're gonna see that shift of that, that push of that two-hour delivery. Um, as we get closer and closer to that being more the norm and more the standard, you're gonna see that automation get closer and closer to us as, as you know, individuals and consumers in the market.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So Industry 4.0 and digitization are here to stay. Where does automation's role in that, Craig?
0: Well, this idea of digitalization is is being talked about a lot. And um, many of the annual reports of big corporations are talking about how they're, they're moving to a new digital model. And um, automation is essential for that, in the sense that um, we have information systems have been a key part of business since the 60s. And that's you know never going to change. The enterprise is there. But from the operations point of view, being able to have the automation that brings the data. Uh, up into the enterprise that's how you're going to complete the the digitalization story where you can actually have a digital twin of your operation you can uh, run simulations uh what do we expect to happen this christmas for example um and uh being able to do those simulations is essential um and you can only do that if you automate um we have to have an a, a, a a change on the dime uh, within seconds, change what we're doing uh, on the fly as product comes in, as demand changes, as orders come in, as problems occur. That has to happen in a digital way because with software, we can change things in a millisecond. With hardware, we may take months to make a change to something, a new line, a new workforce, a uh, different methodology. So, automation is, is ab- absolutely essential for the automated warehouse and the automated um, sortation center. Jake? Yeah, I'll add, I was fortunate enough to be a part of this uh,
2: project. Uh, you brought up digital uh, twin and uh, we, we rebuilt the entire system. Uh, you know, it was an automated system for a customer. And we rebuilt the entire thing in a model Mm -hmm. Uh, where we could pull in all of their order data. Uh, And what we did is we looked at, uh, you know, they were having questions asking us, hey, help us better run the system, help us better understand how to manage uh, the orders and how to manage the the operators of the system as well. And like I said, I was fortunate enough to actually be involved and run through it with the customer. and, And it was really fascinating, a really fascinating exercise for me that we could build this entire model and then watch this system. You know, I'm sitting outside of, the warehouse itself and in this conference room i can look out and see exactly what i have on the screen here virtually also running uh simultaneously um and we were able to pull in you know order data from days where they really struggled and then put it into the system and go what happened you know what what caused bottlenecks? You know, what could we have done different? How could we improve? And we went through the entire exercise, and of course, we come up, oh yeah, this, you know, just a simple change here, and you wouldn't have had this bottleneck at this particular conveyor or merge or whatever it might have been, um, or you know, shifting your your hours of picking by thirty minutes sooner relieves some of the pressure that was building up on your cross belts were, you know, downstream. So little things like that, but just simply through having a digital twin and going in and being able to pull in order data, and then we said, well, what happens? When do we break the system? At what point do we get so many orders that the system, it it fails, right? And we can put that in and we did that. And we said, yeah, when this happens, you you now have to spread that out. You're gonna have to tell your customers, hey, this is going to come one day later because we're going to have to spread this workload instead of over a 24-hour period, over a 48-hour period. Mm-hmm. And this is really impactful for operations. So just having the ability to, to pull those digital twins in, sit in front of your customer, walk through all of that information is really, really beneficial to actually, again, creating that certainty for your consumers. And you hit it, Christian. It, you're okay when you place an order if you get told, hey, look, you know, we ran into an issue. It's going to come one day later, You know, whatever it might be. But if you're sitting in the dark, you start to question, well, "Where's my product at? Well, you know, I, I place this order. When does it get to me? You know, you, you start worrying a little bit, right? Uh, but if you have that constant communication, all of that all ties together and allows you know the basically the retailer to have better uh, certainty, but also better communication with their customers.
1: Excellent, excellent. So, so you you guys both mentioned software in that, so. You know, we and we talked earlier about kind of the discrete systems that were used to be separate. Now it's all working as kind of one uh, one solution. Really, a warehouse can kind of be connected these days now with digital twin, where you can even see what's happening real time as a virtual uh, representation of what's happening, so you can identify the issues. But what are the steps that are necessary to make sure that when you implement a warehouse system? that you have the software that's able to share that data and have that visibility and, and, and things like that. I think,
2: I mean, that's a good question because I, I wish I could have this conversation with most of the customers we talked to uh, beforehand, because realistically software I think is an afterthought for a lot of people. Um, and, and it should be the forethought. It should be, um, you know, wh- what, what, they go hand in hand, right? And, you know, I need this software that's going to help me manage my my inventory. It's going to help me manage my picking and my, I mean, you, you need yard management software. I mean, you need all kinds of different software uh, all the way from the software that, you know, you, you and I go online and purchase goods to the communication of that, to then uh, which your whole supply network, right? So which particular fulfillment center am I pulling this out of? As an example, where is that inventory located? Uh, and, and then, you know, what is the closest to the consumer to reduce transportation time? Uh, All of that has to be considered. And and this is part of the conversation that often I'll say gets overlooked until a lot later on, because if you understand your full supply network, if you understand uh, the type of software you need to manage your inventory and to manage the picking processes, et cetera, then you start making better decisions on, what type of automation you need and where you need that automation. Uh, So the the steps that are needed is, you know, essentially, you've got to understand your supply network um, and you've got to start talking about, essentially, uh, what software is going to help me, uh, let's say, manage my supply network the best. And then also what software is going to help me manage my inventory and my picking and my productivity with inside my warehouses uh, in each location. So I guess the short of it for me is, It needs to come in parallel as you start talking automation. And usually it is, hey, we want to start automation. And you put these nice designs and these nice robots and these nice conveyors and sorters in front of people. And then you go, and what kind of software do we need to run this? And you go, "Uh, okay. (laughs) But we need to actually bring it forward and start talking about them hand in hand and how they both communicate. Uh, Because, you know, you've talked about it already, Craig, The the digitization all the way down to the conveyor level uh, has happened. I mean, that has been existing for a long time, but now the communication of, I can literally find that this particular accumulation field, all of 700 millimeters of an accumulation field, I can tell you exactly when that fails. And I can tell you from here in this office right now for a place out in LA and I'm in Atlanta. So there's that level of connectivity. And so again, the software is to me, arguably it goes hand in hand and is one of the most important, if not the most important topics of conversation.
1: Yeah, Craig. What are your thoughts? Well,
0: we've got we've got so many things happening, uh, so many intersections of, um, of of software and software needs. It's dizzying, and I, I'm I, I don't envy <laughs> our customers. Um, uh, in fact, I just yesterday was was part of a a pitch for for software at a very large uh, company, and and it was for this very thing: simulation emulation software. It is absolutely essential upfront for you to get the benefits um, of it. Simulation, emulation, I mean, Jake, you know, you've, you're up to your neck in it sometimes with customers as to you know, can you do a digital twin? I think right now, this is a, a message I'd say to the whole industry is that, um, that they lack faith. There's a lack of faith that these tools really do what they're supposed to do. Can you really make a model of your facility and your operation using software, and it really tell you how it's going to run. And I will tell anybody as as a fact, because I've seen it multiple times, it is absolutely the truth. The the software tools that are available, um, not only from, from my company, but from others as well, you can run and break, as Jake mentioned, a system and do simulations to get ready. Uh, I talked to a retailer who used Kiva style robots in their distribution centers. How many do they need? How many have to be deployed? What is the maximum that can be deployed when you start having interaction problems? Is that going to be enough for this Christmas? Well, you got someone going, Hmm, let me think. Uh, Well, last year we did this and it went like this. If that's all you've got, good luck. Good luck because with COVID being a black swan that we didn't predict at all and, and no telling what's happening next and inflation and all these things coming at the same time, having a model that you can say, oh, try this and oh, try that. Mm-hmm. Now, something else I want to bring up, which, which Jake touched on, hey, what if you do this and what if you do that? I mean, this is where AI and machine learning come into place where where you can uh, if you can get a team, if a company's large enough and has a, a, a team of people that can uh, run their um, artificial intelligence, they can propose, hey, what about this? And run iterations through that digital twin and go, oh, oh, if if we approach this differently, we've seen these patterns, we can wave pick these things and then individually pick these things and improve our efficiency by 20%. You get that capability of brainstorming and doing these things and you're not affecting the operation. So software is all important for that and getting the right tools for that is absolutely essential. And and it doesn't have to be rocket science. I know it sounds like a lot of, of, of high tech. It really isn't. It's just a matter of using the power of tools that we have today to um, to really spend, you have to spend some money, you do. You have to buy some expensive software and you have to have some high paid people to do it. But when you get it, you can unlock, oh, I don't know, millions of dollars to your bottom line, depending on how big your organization is. So the the, the tools are there. And the benefits are being proven for those who will, who will step out in faith.
1: Yeah, I think we need to do a, po- a future podcast on on practical ways to implement AI, you know, and things. Because I think there's a lot of, uh, still a lot of kind of gray areas and, and a lot of misinformation. And it's not like you can just, you know... Put a AI in your in your checkout and and buy it and add it to your order no. things like that. Like saying,
0: "Here's a tennis racket. Go win Wimbledon." <laughs> you just swing it. No, 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 no. There's so much more to it. But if you get the right tools in place and then you have people who say, let's approach it this way. I mean, the energy companies are doing this. They have a lot of AI going on, checking for how do we do things differently? How do we redistribute so that it meets the, the you know, the seasonal changes and then the anomalies and, um, you know, insurance in- industry has already embraced it in a big way. I think that uh, if we can embrace it more in business, we're going to find some, some incredible efficiencies and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a brave
1: new world. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so Jake, how, where do you start with building an ROI for automation? Um, is, it, uh, is the total decision for a, a customer based on costs alone, or really is there a bigger business case that needs to be thought through? There's a much
2: bigger business case that has to be thought through so it's it's such a, a honestly getting through an ROI is such a big challenge that we have a, a dedicated uh, team here for to help with that exercise because when you when you get into the nuts and bolts of it uh, there there's things like Power requirements, right? And and how much power savings do I get by going with automation or not going with automation? Um, When you talk about the grocery industry, for example, um, you have things like heat dissipation that matter because now I have to procure these rooftop units that are going to cool or freeze uh, these chambers. Um, You get into uh, obviously everyone focuses off the bat, like what are my labor savings? Do I get labor savings with going with automation? I think everyone immediately jumps to that. Um, But then you have this total cost of ownership because you have to maintain that automation uh, as well. And then you have to look at some of the things that are really hard to quantify at times. Uh, So like on the retail side, you can build, you know, uh, with the software, you can build a store friendly pallet. Uh, and then say if you serve 150 stores and you save one uh, FTE per store because you are building a store-friendly pallet and now you just walk up and down the aisles and you don't have to do any sorting in the back room, that's a pretty substantial ROI, a pretty quick business case, you know, Um, but it's also uh, not inexpensive uh, to get that software and to get those robots that are palletizing uh, those pallets so tight and so neat uh, for the stores. Um, So in principle, yeah, it's a culmination of a lot of different things uh, that go into the business case, that go into uh, your total cost of ownership. Uh, but what we are seeing uh, in the industry today is regardless of all those different things that play out, um, you know, the, the biggest thing that we've run into is the business cases or rather the, um, the ROI is getting longer, uh, the acceptable ROI. Uh, It used to be the really hard target of this three to five year. uh, That used to be that really hard target of I need that return in that timeline. Um, But what you see is if you focus too much on that and you lose out on that certainty, and I think that's maybe the word of the day for me, but uh, the certainty of getting goods to your consumers is you may lose a consumer, which then loses market share, which then of course loses revenue and loses profit. Right. And then that affects your business case, ultimately, because if you lose revenue and you lose profitability, yeah, that's bad. Uh, So we're seeing that play out across the board now where the ROI is saying, you know, what, I'm actually good at seven or 10 years now. Um, And that's also being driven by the labor scarcity in the market uh, that if I can't get goods to my consumers, I need to expand my ROI timeline a bit because certainty is most important to me. I have to get the goods out the door to maintain my revenue stream.
1: Yeah, I, we, we had a panel for the solutions community back at our MHI spring meeting. And, um, you know, one of the panelists said that when, when you're looking at ROI, sometimes it doesn't matter because it's, it's a question of whether or not you're going to get the job done at all. And it's more important to get the job done for the reasons you spoke of, Jake, of losing market share, of not having you know having a happy customer, losing customers that will go to other places mm-hmm. for their future needs. And so it, it sometimes your ROI is kind of thrown out the window because it just has to get done with and in the, and, you know, where labor has been over the last couple of years and, and the challenges that are around that, you, you just have to find a way to get, to get it done and can keep doing business as usual or as business as unusual as it's been. Yeah. Um, Craig, what do you think?
0: Well, I think that you, you make a good point. There, there are mathematical um, tools that we all use. Return on investment is an important one. Um, but I think about um, when, um, when Germany was bombing England in World War II and Winston Churchill needed more planes in the air, do you think he was concerned about the return on investment on getting some new airplanes? <laughs> um, no. No. <laughs> Get them up. Because this ain't good. And we need to we need to fight this war. We need to stay alive. So I think that there's that's an extreme example, of course. But the idea is that that uh, um automation has become, and again, this is another uh, MHI, uh, you know, the MHI survey that you guys do um every year is terrific. And I think it indicated last year that 67% of those asked were definitely going to be spending money on automation in the coming year. Um uh, you know and I think that's probably moved to everybody at this point but um, because it is again with with all the intersection of the labor gap and and then the need for digitalization and um, the higher and higher expectations of the consumer or business customer you just have to it's 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 buggy whips to to uh, automobiles at this point we have to move into this new realm and I know that sounds mm-hmm. you know maybe like uh, the the um, fox watching the hen house here because i'm in automation i'm going to say yeah everyone automate. it's absolutely true it's just absolutely true we have to we have to move and get technology working for us so that we can we can deliver
1: well gentlemen thank you for joining us today and uh uh craig if somebody wanted to learn more about the conveyor and sortation systems industry group where would they go
0: well, I'm so proud to be a part of this organization, mhi.org. If you go to mhi.org backslash CSS, you can get data and videos on information, uh, market studies about this wonderful um, realm that we live in. And there's a blog, the MHI Warehouse Automation blog is great. And um, uh, I've been so happy to be a part of mhi.org for um, for years now. And uh, so, yeah, I encourage anyone to to check that out, and they can go from there to to get good data that is agnostic. Uh, it's not a commercial. This organization is for advancement of this um, for this 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 category, this technology.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you, Jake. Uh, any last thoughts, Jake, before we sign off?
2: No, I just wanted to say uh, thank you again for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. And this is, uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful experience for me. It's my first time actually talking with you, Christian. So again, very much appreciate it.
1: Yeah, this has been fun. We'll have to do it again. And I think we have another topic for you guys to come back with, uh, you know, Craig on your AI sure. uh, implementation and stuff. So, But uh, it'd be great having you both on again in the future. So, Thank you. Uh, and uh, so... Yeah. Thank you both for joining us and and look forward to seeing where we go in the future.
0: Great. Thank Thank you guys. It's been fun. Thank you for joining the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. Join us next time to learn more about the trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices that are moving the industry forward.